you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 2, our text, verses 14 through 26. You're turning there, I want to remind you, God's word is always relevant, it's always reliable, it's exactly what you and I need to hear at any moment, and it's especially relevant as we start a new year. We don't need the advice of other people, we need God and his word. Before I read our text, let me pray. And ask for the Lord's help and his blessing. Gracious God, you have told us that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we come to this text, Lord, we ask that you would help us realize that your word is sweeter than Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active with his works, and his faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger and sent him out by another way? For if the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Things aren't always as they appear. Whether it's because of our perspective or maybe the manner in which somebody presents things, things don't always exist in reality like we see them. Take, for example, when you're driving in your car. Did you realize that the stoplight, that yellow thing with the three lights that hangs up, is over four feet tall? Yet being 18 feet up off the ground, it seems like it maybe is only 2 feet or 3 feet tall. It's much bigger than we think it is. Or what about those white dashed lines on the highway? You know, where it's like you're safe to pass when you're uh, driving on the highway. How long do you think those are? 2 feet? 4 feet? Actually, they're 10 feet long. 
but traveling at 55 miles per hour or faster makes them seem like they're really short because we pass them very, very quickly. Things aren't always as they appear. And the same thing is often true, spiritually speaking. What seems like sound faith can turn out to be no faith at all, or faith in the wrong thing. Here in our passage, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, challenges us about dead faith and living faith. I believe it's important for all of us from time to time to stop and examine our faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that we ought to examine ourselves before coming to the table, which we're about to do later in our service. And so today is an appropriate day for us to examine our faith. And at the start of a new year, it's good to look at our faith. You know, in our life, we're examining our health and our finances and so many other things. It's also healthy to examine our faith. Here in James 2, we see a contrast of dead faith versus living faith. And as we work our way through this test, or through this text, I encourage you to ask the Lord to give you wisdom about your own faith. Is it dead? Or is it living? The first truth that James teaches us about faith here in our passage is that claiming faith isn't enough. Claiming faith isn't enough. We see this in verses 14 to 17. James comes right out of the gate with a gut-wrenching question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Talk about going right to the heart of the matter. Can that faith save him? We need to pause right here and ask an important question. Is James teaching salvation by works? Is he saying that somehow you can be good enough to get into heaven by your actions? He says things later in our text like we are justified by works and not by faith alone. Doesn't this undermine key doctrines that we believe in the Reformed faith, like sola gratia, sola fide, and sola Christus, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Moreover, doesn't this put him at odds with the Apostle Paul, who talks about the idea that we're saved by faith? Is this a contradiction with Romans 3.28, which says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or in Galatians 2.16, which says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we handle this? It seems like there's a direct contradiction. seems like James is teaching that if you're good enough, God will save you. Well, we could spend our whole sermon just on this idea. A couple points need to be mentioned. First, we need to keep in mind James' overarching idea in this text, that he's contrasting dead faith versus living faith. He's trying to help people know whether or not their faith is genuine. He isn't comparing and contrasting two ways of being saved, faith on the one hand and works on the other. Rather, he's looking at dead faith versus living faith. Secondly, we can't assume that just because the same term is used in the Bible that it's used in the exact same way. That's certainly true for the way that Paul and James uses the idea of justify or justification. 
For Paul, justification is that initial declaration by God that we are righteous by the imputed or given perfection of Jesus. Happens right away. It's a gift of God. For James, however, justification is confirming. It confirms or demonstrates the validity of our faith. Therefore, good deeds confirm and demonstrate that we have been declared right by God. James believes what Paul says about justification. He's just using the term in a different way. And finally, we must remember that James and Paul have different audiences. Paul was writing to Gentiles who were confused about what it means to be saved initially. They're being led astray by former Jews who said you have to do these certain things like be circumcised before you can be a Christian. James is writing to Jewish Christians who think they can live however they want to because of their heritage, because of their perfection of faith. One commentator has this to say. James hoped to undermine false confidence in an orthodox confession. If Paul wrote to give comfort to those who were afflicted by guilt, then James wrote to afflict those who found false comfort in their assent to orthodox theological ideas. And so upon closer study, James and Paul agree they're really just looking at the same thing but different sides of the coin. This reminds us that we must let Scripture interpret Scripture. Without James and Paul, we'd fall on either side. We might be tempted to think we can somehow earn our salvation. Or we might be tempted to think that once we're saved, we can live however we want to. We need both to help us know what it means to follow Jesus. So James is saying that faith alone is not As John Calvin put it, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It leads to a life following Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul or what James is getting at here in the first part of our text. And we know this because of the example he gives in verses 15 and 16. He describes a hypothetical situation, but one we can relate to. He says that someone comes in and is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. But yet this isn't just a someone. Notice he says that this, a brother or sister comes in. That means this is a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, and they're lacking in enough clothes to keep them warm and enough food to be healthy. And James says if we respond by saying, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The statement, go in peace, was a common salutation. It was like saying, God be with you. It's nice, but it doesn't help the need of the person. The statement, be warmed and filled, can be read two ways grammatically. It could be passive, or it could be reflexive. If it's passive, it would mean be warmed and filled. If it's reflective, warm and fill yourself. I think James is having both in mind. If it's reflexive, 
And the person is saying, go help yourself. It's like the false notion today that we see God helps them who helps themselves. You know, go pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Take care of yourself. Take care of your needs. That's passive, and it's basically saying, God help me. I'll pray for you, but I'm not actually going to help your needs. Both responses, James says, actually don't help this person in need at all. And both confirm that faith, apart from works, is dead. Not genuine faith. It will not save you. Now James is illustrating this main idea about faith and works. But his illustration should make us stop and think about application for a moment. Are we guilty of saying, God, help me? Or help yourself? Instead of actually helping someone in need? I think we can fall into both at times. We think, well, I've worked hard for my money. You should work hard for yours. Go find a job and take care of yourself. I mean, this is America. We think, man, I don't have the responsibility to help. Or we'll spiritualize it. We'll say, I'll pray for you. Or, you know, God will meet your needs. All things work together for good for those who love God. Yet failing to realize God has put us in a place where we can help. Friends, God calls us to be generous. It doesn't mean we have to help everyone, and it doesn't mean that there are times that we should not help, where helping might actually hinder or hurt someone. But it does mean that we, can, we need to help when and how we can. Are you someone who's helped? Are you someone who's generous? It's a sign of a living faith. That's what James tells us here. He's reiterating the point that claiming faith, just saying, I have faith, isn't good enough. Our actions must confirm the validity and seriousness of our faith. Well, James takes this a step further in verses 18 and 19 by teaching us that confessing right doctrine isn't enough. Saying the right truth is not enough. In verse 18, we find one of the hardest things to interpret in James. But he says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Remember, in the original manuscripts, there's no punctuation. So when we see quotation marks here, that's an interpretation. We don't know how exactly long this quote is, if it's a direct quote or an indirect quote. And scholars debate exactly the argument James is making here. But what seems to be the point is that James is maybe indirectly quoting what someone who opposes him believes. He's summarizing their argument, you have faith and I have works. This person is saying that faith and works are like two types of spiritual gifts. Some people have faith. Some people have works, and whatever works out, that's great. Whichever gift God gives you, okay, good. And James responds by saying, okay, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, it's impossible to show faith without works. Why? Because there's nothing to show. 
And that's the point James is making. We can talk the talk all we want to. But until we walk the walk, it doesn't matter. In verse 19, he drives home this point forcibly. You believe God is one. It's a summary of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, what Jews would confess daily about what they believe. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James says, you confess that, you say that, good, you do well. Even the demons believe that and say it. You pride yourself on confessing the faith, but your actions show that it's dead. Great, even the demons can do that, yet we know they're far from God. What's the point? It's that stating right belief isn't enough. What's an example we can relate to? Think of the Apostles' Creed, what we confess every Sunday after the sermon and prayer. It's important to confess our faith. I hope we do this and we believe it, but James is saying, hey, you can come to church every Sunday, you can confess the words of the Apostles' Creed and yet mean nothing by it. And your actions don't match up, and so your confession is worthless. Truly believing is different from giving lip service to what we say. The danger for you and me is that most of us probably know the right answers. Kids, you've grown up in the church. You can probably give as good a definition of anybody about what it means to be a Christian. That Jesus died on the cross. That Christmas is Jesus' birthday. Yet saying those things in and of themselves mean nothing. We must believe Him, must translate into love that overflows into action. You and I can confess the truth, but still be far from Jesus. This reminds us that proximity to the things of God doesn't automatically translate into salvation, into true, genuine faith. You and I can come to church, we can grow up in a Christian home, we can memorize the shorter catechism, we can do all these things and yet still have a dead faith. Let's look at Judas Iscariot. He was one of the twelve, very close to Jesus, heard all of Jesus' teachings, was even the one who kept the money for the disciples. He was a deacon before there were deacons. Yet his heart was far from God. It was evidenced by him betraying Jesus. His actions did not match his confession. What about you? Are your confessions a faith empty? Do they mean nothing because you're not living as Jesus calls you to live? I'm not talking about knowing that you have room to grow. We all have room to grow. But there's a difference and striving after the things of Jesus, relying upon the Holy Spirit, and saying one thing, and living something completely different. Pastor J.D. Greer tells a story of a time he was playing pickup basketball at a local YMCA. He was matched up with a guy, and very quickly after getting to know him, running up and down the court, realized, hey, this guy doesn't seem to be a Christian at all. He's just a serious person. 
starts asking him some questions, starts telling him about who he is and about Jesus and, and salvation and things like that. And finally the guy stops and says, hey, let me stop you right there. Are you trying to, to witness to me? James just said, well, yeah, I am. The guy said, well, let me stop you right there. I prayed a prayer years ago. I'm good to go. I can now live however I want to. I prayed a prayer years ago. I'm good to go. So now I can live how I want to. Sadly, oftentimes those who claim to be Christians live that way. Now, maybe we don't fall into saying that exactly, I can live however I want to, but we think things like, well, Jesus died on the cross. My sins are forgiven. What's one more sin? Well, it's already forgiven. I guess it's okay. I'll just do it this one time, and then I'll pass over. And we think, well, it doesn't really matter how I live right now. I'm already going to heaven. You know, what's the big deal? James is telling us that that type of faith actually isn't faith at all. Just because you can say the right things doesn't mean your heart loves Jesus and is translated into actions that honor God. It's worthless, according to James. It's a dead faith, and it cannot save. James closes our passage in verses 20 through 26 with several examples of faith connected to works. Not that faith plus works leads to salvation, but faith leads to salvation that shows itself through good works. In verse 20, he asks, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? As if what he has already said wasn't enough, James goes on to give examples of people living out their faith. He starts with Abraham. Now, this is a logical example. He's writing to Jewish Christians who would have looked up to Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jews. He was important, especially in a patriarchal society. James says, quite shockingly, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? In Genesis 22, we find the account of Abraham and Isaac where God test Abraham and says, go and offer a sacrifice. And Abraham obeys to the point of getting ready to slay his own son, but God stops him, saying, now I know that your faith is genuine. This test proved the validity of Abraham's faith. Did it save Abraham? Certainly not. In Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. That was years before the events of Genesis 26. He was saved by faith, yet his faith was demonstrated when he was put to the test in Genesis 22. James quotes Genesis 15, 6 and verse 22. But he's showing us that the big idea is that Abraham's faith resulted in action. His actions confirmed that he had faith. Verse 22, James says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. doesn't mean that somehow Abraham's actions added to his faith, or that somehow the faith in Jesus was not enough. 
rather saying that his works confirmed what God had given him. It gave proof that it was genuine. Think about it like athletes in their context. For example, back in 2018, just a couple years ago, LeBron James signed a four-year, $153 million contract with the Lakers. Now set aside for a moment whether or not you think athletes are worth that much money. But think about the fact that this past year, with LeBron James and several other key players, the Lakers won the NBA championship. And so for a lot of people and the owners of the team, the fact that they won the championship confirmed the validity of signing LeBron James and paying him that much money. Now that wasn't before they signed him or even right when they signed him. They didn't know for sure that they'd win the championship, but once they did, it said, yes, okay, this was a good decision. And in a similar way, Here in our passage, James is teaching us that good works confirm the legitimacy of our faith. They don't save us, but they show that we have true faith in God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you lack assurance of salvation. You're wondering, am I really saved? Does God love me? Am I going to go to heaven if I were to die? One of the ways we find assurance is by looking at our actions. Ultimately, we find assurance in the finished work of Jesus, but how we live confirms that we've really trusted in Jesus. After all, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Our good works, our fruits should confirm that God has given us saving grace. The second example James gives is Rahab. If Abraham was the perfect example, Rahab is a shocking one. She was not an Israelite, not the person you would think James might use as an example. We encounter her in Joshua chapter 2. God's people are entering the promised land, and Joshua sends two spies to the city of Jericho to check it out and see what the mentality, the ethos is there, and if it seems like God's people could take the city. And they go, and word is found that they're there, and so they enter the house of Rahab, and she protects them, hides them, and then lets them out of her window down the wall, and they go and escape. James says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Her actions did not save her. Rather, they showed that her confession of faith was genuine. You see, she told those two spies she believed the God of Israel. It was a confession of faith, yet it was shown to be legitimate when she saved the spies. Now, notice James doesn't say anything about her actions. We don't have time to dive into whether or not it was ethically right for her to lie to save the spies. I'd encourage you maybe over lunch to discuss that with your family. Was it okay for Rahab to lie? But you see, that's not the point James is making. James rather is saying, look, her actions of trusting God and saving these men proved that her faith was genuine. 
all that James has taught us up until this point is a reminder that following Jesus, it's hard. Sure, salvation is free in the sense that we cannot save ourselves. We don't bring anything good to the table. But once we're saved, Jesus demands everything. He tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. In John chapter 6, Jesus lays down some pretty challenging teaching to those who are following him. John 6, 66, we read, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This wasn't referring to the twelve, but to others who were there who said, Ah, on second thought, following Jesus isn't for us. Let's go away. Verse 67, it says, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In light of realizing that following Jesus is hard, Peter says, where else can we go? We have nowhere else to go. Summarizing the point for us today, James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says this, we cannot turn back. There is no place to go but forward. Friends, that's where we stand with what James teaches here. Faith apart from works is dead, but faith with works is hard. We need the Holy Spirit's strength to do this, to press on. But turning back is not an option. Press forward. And thanks be to God who gives us the ability to live godly lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit. As we close, I encourage you to be honest about your faith. Is your faith living? Or is it dead? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. Yet as you do, remember, it's not about the amount of faith that matters, but rather the object of your faith. Jesus says in Matthew 17, 20, that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. We need faith in Jesus that leads to God-glorifying actions. We start a new year. We don't need the hope that 2021 will be better than 2020. I sure hope it will be, but it's possible that it won't be. It could be worse. What you and I need is Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what this table that we're about to come to is all about. The table, we're reminded of the sacrificial death of Jesus and we're nourished, strengthened in our faith to live as God calls us to live. If your faith is living, you will be about the things of God. You will serve Him and obey Him. May God give us living faith and it may, be, may it be clear in our actions.